0: If you would take your Bibles and turn to Matthew's Gospel. We're going to read two stories tonight that are similar. A Tale of Two Storms. We're going to read the first one is Matthew 8, 23 through 27. If you'll hold your finger there, we're going to flip back and forth a little bit, give you a heads up. And then we're going to go to chapter 14 in verses 22 through 33. Okay, let's read the first one together. Um, Matthew 8, in verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Write down, or if you're taking notes, you have a pen. Circle the verses previously, and because it's, this is on the tail of a discipleship scenario. In verse 19, a scribe came up and said, Teacher, I will follow you. Jesus says in verse 22 to another guy, follow me and leave the dead to bear their own dead. So this is a, follows on the heel of two people who are saying they'll follow Jesus and become his disciple. So there is a little bit more to it than just following him, walking behind him. When verse 23 says, and when he got on the boat, his disciples followed him. These are the people who are truly following him as disciples. And behold, in other words, don't miss this one. There arose a great storm, Greek word mega, okay? It's the same word used at the bottom in verse 26, and it forms a little bracket, a great calm. So there's a great storm, and then followed by a great calm. And in between, we learn lessons about that. There was a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. In contrast to the chaoticness outside the boat, Jesus is calmly at peace and asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Mark's version puts it a little rougher. They say, Lord, don't you care? <laughs> so they were pretty worried. Imagine that from professional uh, fisherman on the water. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? This phrase is in both of our stories, and you'll see it when I read it. Oh, you of little faith. And then he arose, rebuked, and it means to chastise, command the winds and the sea, and there was a megacom. And the men marveled saying, "What sort of man is this that even winds and sea, submit is the word. To bow yourself under, obey him." Matthew 14 and verse 22. Second storm story in Matthew's gospel. Immediately he made, again, there's the emphasis in this passage on discipleship. The disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain himself to pray. And before I go any further, let me just tell you verse 22. It says that they were to go before him. This is him dismissing them and sending him. Jesus is intentionally, purposely sending them into this storm. Keep that in mind. He went on the mountain himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Mark's gospel said it was approximately, if you use stadia, which was their measurement, it's somewhere between three to three point miles from where Jesus was praying. It's about four plus miles across. So they had made it probably about 80% of the way, uh, but they weren't going to make it all the way. Remember, this storm takes place in the middle of the night, in the middle of the sea, beaten by the waves. The word beaten is the same word we get for torture, and it was used of punishing demons. That's how bad the storm is. The wind was against them, and in the fourth watch of the night, first watch, six to nine. Second watch, nine to midnight. Third watch, min- midnight to three. Fourth watch, Three to six in the morning. So Jesus has prayed from six o'clock at night till whatever, around two o'clock in the morning. So he's been praying for probably a good seven to eight hours by himself. That puts my seven to eight minutes of shame, doesn't it, yours? Um, But seven to eight hours, and then he's gonna walk on the water. It says that the fourth watch, he came to them walking on the sea, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. You have to realize they thought the oceans and the seas were the home of demons and monsters. That was their view. And so anything that they see on the ocean, not suspecting Jesus by any stretch, they would thought it was a ghost or a demon. They cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Literally, it says this, Be courageous. I am. Stop being afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, since it is you would be the better way. Now he doesn't doubt anymore because Jesus is up close by this point. Command me, just like you command the waves in the first storm story, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come, discipleship term. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached, reached out his hand and took hold of him. Peter was trying to get from the boat to where Jesus was. The Bible even says he was trying to get to Jesus. He almost made it. There he didn't. Jesus reaches out his hand and grabs him. And again, the repeated phrase, Oh you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah, in other words. Okay, question. What is the most repeated... I think I have it on here. What is the most repeated command in the entire Bible? This is what God says He wants you to do more than anything else, or perhaps not to do. What's the most repeated command in the Bible? What is it? It's not to pray or witness... But you're right, who said it? Yes, fear not. Number one command in all of the Bible. 365 times we are told to fear not. They have calendars where you tear off the pages and there's a verse with every one of those 365 fear nots on it. You can buy those things. It's important. I asked myself, and I want you to answer as well, Uh, Why does God tell human beings to stop being afraid more than any other thing in the Bible? And I think if you think about it long enough, you'll understand that God says fear not so many times because it's the number one reason that we are tempted to avoid doing what God tells us to do. I would tell you it's the number one reason why people do not get saved and people do not, who are saved, want to follow Jesus the way they should because of fear. Fear of what God has asked us to do. When I was growing up, I don't know if you remember, I mean, I am afraid of spiders, but um, almost as bad as that, if not worse, is I was afraid of the water. Now, my mom, um, to my knowledge, I, all my life growing up, I never saw my mom get in the water. Um, we'd go to the shore. My mom would sit on the beach. We'd go to the pool. My mom would sit in a lawn chair or whatever you want to say, you know, a deck chair, whatever you want to say. He, I never saw, the most I ever saw my mom do, which we all almost like fell off our seat. When we were at a pool one time, my mom came and sat on the steps that lead into Shallow end and put her ankles in the water. That was as much as I ever saw her do. And so one time, way back when I was in my 20s, I think, I asked her, I go, have you ever gone swimming? And she said, no. She goes, I don't know how to she was never taught to swim. So she just said, I just don't go in the water. I'm too afraid. So I, I know you can't inherit that. But I, I remember my dad, when I was about mm, seven or eight years old, we had this kind of a thing that you belonged to. It was like a swim pool thing. And so um, you could go there. They had a swimming pool and two tennis courts. That was it. So we'd go to this in the summertime. And I remember my dad standing in the water, of course, all these families and people around. I'm standing on the side of the pool and my dad is looking at me. He's probably from me to Dennis. And he, he goes, he goes, jump, Lance. He goes, trust me. And then he goes like this. He goes, I'll catch you. So I'm thinking, I don't know if you've ever felt this at any other area, like the tension. I mean, I'm looking at my dad and my dad is, you know, a lot bigger than me. He's stronger. And from my life up to seven, he was pretty good because I could trust him. So I'm thinking like, yeah, I should just jump right out there. and My dad will grab me. But inside, I'm going like, there's a lot of water between us. And I might sink and he might not get to me. And I start thinking like, if he has a heart attack between the time I jump off, he's never going to get me. No one's going to know. I'm seven years old and I'm already thinking all this stuff. And so in my heart, I said, I should jump right? But in my mind, I'm thinking like, no, there is no way I'm jumping. So I didn't jump. And he kept asking me, and he kept asking me. And I said, no. And now he's getting upset because he's getting embarrassed because everyone's looking because I'm not jumping and I'm his son. And it's making, I guess it's making him look bad. And so I didn't know what else to do. So I turned to the lifeguard. I go, do I have to jump? (laughs) And the lifeguard He's not even saying, he doesn't even do anything like this. You know, I never did jump. My dad had to come and get me off the side of the thing and take me into the water. Right, you know what? But seriously, you know what you lose out when God wants you to jump? You know what you lose out on? When you don't jump and you say no, you lose out on learning to trust God a little bit more. You know what you lose out with? You le- lose out, you know why? Because after not jumping, I was a little less, even more, even less so wanting to get near the water. And I wanted to pull away a little bit more. And you know what? I wanted to keep it safe. So I would play in the very shallow end, but I'm not jumping in the deep end, and I didn't want to. And the only way I ever overcame it was my dad said, obviously, you're not going to swim with me around. So I went to the YMCA, and I became a minnow. And then we had, I had swimming lessons. And I learned to swim, and I wasn't afraid of the water anymore. But it took time. But you know I missed out? I missed out on trusting my dad, learning how strong he was, and that when he says something, he's going to do it, and that I could trust him and jump in the water, and he'd take care of me. I missed out on that. You know what? You do the same thing. See, these two stories, these two storm stories, are about the battle between two things, fear and faith. Both stories have those elements, those factors in it. That there's a storm, it's beating the ship down, they're going to swamp it, the water's going to sink them, and they're going to die, and they're afraid. Fear is mentioned in both stories. But also is faith, because in both times, Jesus, you know, here, here's the thing. Jesus wasn't very sympathetic. He didn't say, oh, I understand, this is a really bad storm. He didn't say that. You know what he says? Oh, you have little faith. I'm so glad my dad didn't quote that to me that day. But he wasn't very sympathetic for me. You know why? He just couldn't figure out why I should not trust him. I wonder if God says that about you and me. When we have the battle, and we do, don't we have the battle between fear and faith in our lives? Let me ask you this. Have you ever wanted to witness to someone, and you should have, you're sitting next to them on the airplane, and you just think about all the things you could say, but you never do. You ever had that happen? And you just can I say it? You chicken out. It's true. You know you're having you're having a conversation at work or at school and they're talking about religion and you know this is the perfect time to interject, oh yeah, I'm religious, I'm a Christian. I go to Faith Baptist Church, or or I'm a, and you can start you could say something. And you really want to, but you don't. Jesus says jump. I mean just jump into this conversation and you, you you don't. And you play it safe and you pull back from the risk. And I tell you this, when you do that, what is it what happens the next time? Well, it's a little easier to not say anything or even think about it because now you're forming a habit in your life. I know I shouldn't get involved. I know I should get involved in this ministry. And somebody came up to me and said, "Hey, why don't you come over and help with this?" And you know that you should and you know that you could. But you know, you might have to pray out loud, and you might have to be up front in front of somebody. And you're going like, "Oh, you know what? I don't know. Can I work? Can I do that at Vacation Bible School? I mean, should I really do that?" And you know, you should. But you know what? You're afraid of what if I say the wrong thing, and what if I'm not that good at it, and this isn't really up my alley, and fear takes over instead of faith. And so I put on here. Here's what following Jesus is. It's not fear minus faith I'm, so, I'm sorry faith minus fear it's jesus doesn't say it's wrong to have fear because fear is a natural thing that he's given to us and there are times when fear is good when you have a big tarantula crawl up your leg you should be afraid i am right but listen not fear is bad when it keeps you from doing what god wants you to do you should do for him or for others And so following Jesus, what we learn from these stories is this. Following Jesus is not faith minus fear. It is faith over fear. It's that, yeah, we're going to have fears. We're going to be afraid to do things that we ought to do. But we have the faith that trumps that fear and goes over. So the question I want to ask you tonight is, how then can I follow Jesus so that my faith wins out over my fears? How do I do that at school? How do I do that at my job? How do I do that when I have an opportunity to witness? How do I do that when I look at my finances and say, God, you say you want me to do 10%, but look at this bill and look at this and look at this and look at this. And you know what, if I did that, you know how tight things would be? And people say, oh, you know, I'm not sure I could could trust God like that. So how do you get to the place in your life where that changes. Here's discipleship rule number one. In Hebrew context, in Jesus' day, if you were a rabbi and you had disciples, the number one thing a disciple wanted to do when it came in their relationship with their rabbi was two things. Number one, I want to know everything my rabbi knows, and I want to do everything that he does. Okay, I want to know what he knows, all of it, and I want to do what he. Does. I want to know how he interprets Torah. I want to see how his interpretations are and how he sees things. And then once I know what he knows, so then for I listen to his teachings, and then I watch his life. That's why you have to follow the rabbi, because it's not enough just to know what he knows. I have to believe that I can do what he does. Okay. And every disciple wanted to know if their rabbi truly believed that they could be like them, that you could really be like the rabbi. These two storm stories tell both parts of that principle. The first one, if I could put it to you this way, in Matthew eight twenty three through 27, in fact, both of these stories have an element. And why does Jesus push them to go across the lake? Why does Jesus, now listen, there are differences in this story. One story, the first one has, Jesus is with the disciples in the boat. So he's inside the boat. But did you notice the second one? They're different because Jesus is outside the boat. One, he's in the lake with them, and one, he meets them and walks to them on the lake. One time he's in the boat, and one time he's outside the boat. The, pro, the principle has nothing to do with the storm but the placement of Jesus right? The placement of Jesus. I wrote on here, storms are for deepening your discipleship. You may say, I'm in a storm right now in my life, and this is difficult. Here's what one of the purposes, not the only one, but there's one of the purposes of this. Jesus, ready? And if you're not getting this out of your storm, you're missing it. He wants you to know him better and become more like him through it. If you're not getting those two things, minimally, you are missing what he has for you. He wants you to know him better and through it become more like him. Let me show you what I mean. How I see Jesus will determine how I see storms. Someone else put it this way. You can either see Jesus through your storms or you can see storms through Jesus. And you have to decide which is true. Now, in both of these storms, and I'll just tell you, at the end of it, In the first storm, when Jesus is in the boat asleep, they wake him up. He calms it, right? Here's what they say. What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea submit to him? So the point is, what did the disciples learn? They learned what kind of man Jesus is. So what did they know about him? That he is not like any other person because... I've learned so far in Matthew's gospel that leprosy and diseases and sicknesses all submit to him. He can say the word and the sickness and the demon is cast out. The disease is cured. And now, not only those things, which by the way, there were other people reported who were able, who were able to do those, but Jesus is different. He doesn't just calm sicknesses and diseases and cast out demons. He controls the weather. See, nobody had ever done that before. And so who is this man? So what are, you, what are the disciples supposed to learn? In your storm, you can trust Jesus because what? He controls, say it, everything. He controls. See, this is what, now listen. What makes you afraid? What makes you afraid in your storm? That things are out of Control, it's a lie. It's a lie. Can I tell you this? They are never out of control. But here's the truth. You may know that about Jesus here intellectually, but unless you have knowledge of it experientially, like having had him in your boat when the storm came, you're not going to get it. Let me tell you what that looks like. Ready? Stay with me. At the end of the second storm story, okay, okay, it says, this is the re- disciples' response, truly, you are the Son of God. Son of God is used by the high priest and says, tell us plainly, Jesus, are you the Son of God, the Christ? Son of God was their understanding, not that Jesus was God's Son, and meaning deity, although he claimed that and got called out for blasphemy, But mainly they thought son of God meant you are the king of Israel. You're the Christ. You're the one who was God's son like David was God's son in 2 Samuel 7. That's where the term comes from. So they thought you're the king, you're the Christ, you're the promised one. And he says, I am. Right? The Roman soldier, Matthew's gospel, 2754, watches Jesus crucified, the earthquake, the darkness, the ground shaking, all of those things happen. Jesus gives up his spirit And here's what the Roman centurion, this is a Gentile. He says, truly, this man was the son of God. So what are you supposed to learn? Can I tell you else who called Jesus son of God in Matthew's gospel? Ready? On the Mount of Temptation out in the wilderness, Satan said, hey, Jesus, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. You know what the demons said before Jesus cast them out when the swine over the hill? They said, Jesus... Son of God, are you here to torment us before the time? Watch. The religious leaders call Jesus Son of God. The devil himself calls Jesus Son of God. The demons call Jesus Son of God. A Roman centurion calls Jesus Son of God. And the disciples call Jesus Son of God. You know what that means? It means you could have all this knowledge in your head. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the King. You could have all that in your mind, and it isn't going to help you in the storm. Did did the religious leaders believe it? No. Did the devil? Yeah, he believed it, but it didn't change him. See, you know why? Because what we're trying to say is if you know Jesus, you will trust him. Right? I know my wife, and I trust her. You ever meet someone, you don't know them very well, but someone says, oh, you can trust them. Hmm. Right? Someone recommends a restaurant to you, and you walk in, and it doesn't look so great. You go, oh, he said this was such a great place to eat. And you're sitting down, you're going like, man, that isn't the cleanest place I've ever been. Why? You're, well, you're trying to trust them, right? Someone tells you, hey, so-and-so, they're going to pick you up. But sometimes they say they're a little late. Oh, great. Now you're thinking what? I'm planning to be here at least another half hour to an hour. Right, why? Because the more you know someone personally and intimately And if they're a good person, you can trust them. But if you don't know them really well, what do you do? You you doubt it, right? So why don't we trust Jesus when we're in our storms and we're afraid? Here's why. Because we know him. Look, we know this stuff. You know these stories. You know Jesus. I don't have to convince you he's the son of God. Then why don't we act like it in the storm? Truth is because it's all here. And that's it. But if we believe He was God, the Son of God, and He controls wind and waves and demons and, and disease, if he does all of that, do you think he can handle your finances? Do you think he can handle your wayward child that you grieve over? Do you think he can handle that rough boss at work, drives you crazy? He can. He can. The idea is to know what the master knows. Last one. Everyone thinks Peter is obnoxiously spontaneous, overzealous, and there's probably an element of truth to that. But what I think he is, is he's the oldest disciple, he's the only one that's married, and he's the number one leader. That's why he's, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on you, you're the rock. Right? So when Jesus comes by, and by the way, let me tell you real quick, three miracles, ready? Ready? Jesus has prayed for seven to eight hours, and it's the middle of the night. It's as dark as you can get. It is stormy and raining like you can't believe, right? And Jesus gets to them. Now, again, they're three to three and a half miles away from where he is on the water. The Bible doesn't say how long, but it seems like Jesus got there very quickly. Because if it took him three, six or seven hours or more to row there, and he's walking... Okay, just how long do you think it takes to walk three miles? Okay, an hour. Did he take a whole hour to get there? It doesn't seem that. So Jesus, number one, and, and by the way, and he finds them when it's dark in the middle of a horrible storm. And he didn't have GPS, right? And the Bible says, and I don't know if there's anything to be make out, made out of it, it says Jesus walks in the sea, Peter walked on the water, it seems like Jesus walked on the water between the boat and where Jesus was. Jesus walks on the storm, meaning on the waves. In fact, Job 9.8 says that only God walks on the waves. Read it for yourself. And he even says in Mark's gospel that he was going to pass them by. And don't think the fact is Jesus is walking by. Hey guys, how you doing? It's not that. Every time God gives a revelation of himself, he says, "Moses, I'm going to pass by, but I need to put you by in the cleft of the rock because you can't look at my glory." Elijah's in the cage and the cave, and God says, "Elijah, I'm going to walk by, I'm going to pass by." That's the phrase he uses. And so God says, the Bible says that Jesus is going to walk by, he's going to pass by them. In other words, he is going to reveal to them who he is. He wants them to know what he knows about God. Okay, Peter gets this, and then he adds the second part. Why do you think Peter jumped out of the boat and says to Jesus, he didn't jump out, ready? He did not just jump out spontaneously because that's who Peter is. What did he say? He asks, if it is you, Jesus, you are my master, my rabbi. If it is you, command me, because I can't do it unless you think I can. I'm your disciple. So command me, to come to you on the water. The number one goal of a disciple is to know what the master knows and do what the master does. Peter said, I want to be like you so much, even in this storm, that if you can walk on water, so can I. And Jesus says what? Come. Why? Ready? Because Jesus believes that you and I, in the worst storms, can be like him. Listen, you can be like him in your storm. It doesn't matter how long your storm lasts, how severe it is, no matter how big the waves are, no matter how it makes you feel. Listen, if you look around at the wind and waves, you will not be like Jesus. You will not get to Jesus. You won't know what it means to be like him and follow him. And Peter did great. He got out, but then he looked around right before he got to Jesus, and guess what? He lost it, and he started to sink. And so will you and I. We will fall short of the purposes of God's storms in our lives if we don't see them as an opportunity for us to learn to say, listen, in my storm, I want to be like him. I want to respond like him, talk like him, pray like him, not lose my joy like him. I want to be in the storm. And God says, come on, Peter, you can. And you know what tonight he brought you here to say? He brought you here to say, and so can you. You can too. You can be like Jesus in your storm but I'm so thankful, can I leave you with this? He looked at the storm and he started to sink. And you know what that happens to us? Have you ever thought you could be like Jesus and started to act like it and you didn't make it? You know, I'm so glad that Jesus didn't let him go. Hope you make it back to the boat, Peter. Good luck. No, he reaches down with his arm and he grabs him. I bet that felt so good. Right? It felt so good when that lady taught me how to be a minnow and said, you know, let me help you. Lay down in the water, and she put her hand under me, and then you kick your feet, and I'll hold you up. I go, this is such a better method, Dad. Why did not you come up with this? Right? And I bet when Jesus reached out and held him, I, I bet he felt bad about not keeping his eyes on him, but I thought he felt really good that Jesus was there. Listen, maybe you have do stu- stu- a lot of sinking this week, Been sinking a lot over the next last few weeks. Can I tell you this? Jesus still loves. He still cares. He still forgives. And he's got an arm and a hand just for you. And he wants to pull you back up. And listen, he still believes. He still believes you can be like him. Even in the storm you face tonight. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, truthfully, whether you're inside the boat or outside of the boat, as long as you are there, you are there. that's all we need. And we know that you're there because you're always there. You're with us and you're for us. Help us to know you better, that we might trust you more. I pray, Father, that as we know you better, that we might trust you more so that we can be more like you. Help us To do that, the more in our storms. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen.